0: Hello and a happy new year from all of us at Scouted Football. January 2023 is upon us, if you'll believe it, and we're well underway with the winter transfer window already, just a few days in. Um, those post-World Cup moves are in full swing with the likes of Enzo Fernandez attracting interest um, in the Premier League. Um, we're heading to France, though, for today's episodes, uh, to the West Coast, and I'm joined by a man very familiar to this podcast and the jewel of the West of Scotland, um, Ali Madden. Um, happy New Year to you, Ali. Uh, how are things, mate?
1: Yeah, happy new year to you too, Joe. And thank you for the for the very kind introduction. Things are well. Things are well. I'm um, still off work and back back at work next Monday, so enjoying the chance to recharge my batteries after the festivities after a busy December. And yeah, looking forward to what looks set to be an interesting second half of the season. And Lee Gunn, how are things with you, Joe? Are you are you well? yeah
0: i'm d- I'm doing all right yeah um getting back up to the, the the swing of things with domestic football after the world cup, so um being kept plenty busy but um this is one that we've we've wanted to record for a while and it's sort of been in the diary for a bit because mm. it's sort of one of those one of those stories of the of the season where we which we like to pick out, don't we that um you know a team who maybe have a few interesting under twenty three players um who are of you know doing doing things which perhaps would not have been expected of them at the beginning of the season, and um, for the, for, the, for those who are interested in, in finding out, I mean, if you haven't seen the the, the teaser of the the episode, it is Lorient, um, located on the south coast of Brittany on um, France's northwestern Atlantic coastline. Um, it's a, in terms of a little bit of background, it's a, it's a historic seaport. Um, and and a, it's been a staging post throughout sort of modern history. Um, it was was practically raised to the ground during World War II. Um, and as a result, it kind of lost around two-thirds of its populace that, you know, people just migrated elsewhere. Um, but, you know, as recently, in, in terms of football, as recently as the mid-90s, you know, Lorient were, were a club in France's third tier, um, Le Championnat National, um, before winning promotion to, to Ligue 2 and then Ligue 1. Uh, where they stayed for eleven seasons between 2006 and 2017, um, and in terms of you know their their European experience, they've only ever played two games in Europe in their entire history, uh, and that was in 2002, 2003 uh, qualifying after winning quite remarkably the, the Coupe de France in 2002.
1: Joe, if I can, if I can just jump in there, Joe. Actually, uh, you you'll know me. I do enjoy to interject. Do go
0: in. Do get yourself in. Yeah.
1: The winning goal in that game came courtesy of none other than John claude Darshville, who of course spent some time at Rangers uh, playing at Ibrox. I think that was he the did in indeed, yeah, nine. So there you are. There's, there's always, there's always some sort of connection there. Anyway, Joe, I'll, I'll let you continue. Sorry. No,
0: absolutely. I, I mean, this is what this podcast is all about: those little tidbits of information. Um, yeah. You, yeah. it's Just a little bit of added added uh, info there. But the the thing that was so remarkable at the, uh, about that season wasn't that they were a league dirt club winning. A, a, you know, a major domestic trophy in France. It was the fact that they also were runners up in the Coupe de, Coupe de la Ligue as well that same season. Um, so, yeah, they, they ended up qualifying for Europe, but their 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 European exploits, shall we say, have been very very limited. Um, more recently, they won Ligue 1 2 in, in 2020 uh, and have since remained in Ligue 1 over the past two seasons, and and this year are doing extremely extremely well. Um, Ali, you, you won't need to, to be told about this as a as an aficionado of, of French football, but you know, the Lorient's highest ever league finish is seventh in League mm-hmm. club's history. And they're really, really in with a shout of beating that this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly as you were saying earlier on the podcast, Joe, they're a team that at the start of the season you would not have expected this from them. I think, particularly with Liga and seeing four teams relegated at the end of this campaign, a lot of people probably did have them down as a team that probably would be there or thereabouts in the relegation battle, I think, as well, when you consider the fact that they parted company with with Christophe Policier, who, well, not a spectacular manager, had achieved some sort of stability with them. Um, they were perhaps regressing with him, but it did feel like a sort of sink or swim decision when, when they parted company with Polissier. They also lost, of course, Amon Oliente, who was on a one-man mission to compile a one of the most extravagant goals of the season uh, competitions in, in history. He, he of course went to Saswalo, and I think just generally there, there was a feeling that with four teams going down, Royal would would probably be there or thereabouts. And as you say, they've they've defied all all of those expectations, and they've they've not exactly been been a riveting watch. But I think for people who enjoy this podcast, that there are you know a sort of sprinkling of of younger talent through the team. There's also the the sort of the coach coming through the the reserve team and whatnot, there's that kind of story. There's there's plenty of narratives at the Stade du Moustoir uh, that, that make them, i.e. Lyon, a really interesting case study. Joe, I'm looking forward to talking about them with you today. Absolutely.
0: And, and you're talking about the Stade de Moustoir there, it only holds around 19,000, 20,000. Um, so I think that's one that if people were interested in sort of ticking off the bucket list of going to a really authentic French football ground at a team um, who in the second half of the season will... You know, rightly so, be pushing for Europe given the 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 foothold that they've got themselves in already. Uh, I believe they're sixth or seventh uh, at the Mm. moment in Liga. But in terms of sort of alumni, you know, they don't really have a huge footprint on French and European football in terms of youth production. Um, But I mean, what they have produced, they've done very well with. They've been very efficient with it. Um, Whether that be sort of retaining them within the academy themselves and then featuring in the first team. Um, or by earning good fees for them at a a young age, or or sometimes both. Um, You know, you you look at the the geography of France, and and particularly the Northwest, and you've got Stade Rennais, you've got Nantes, Angers, uh, Brest Mm. as well. They're all very close by, and, you know, except for Brest, they're all, in terms of the cities, they're all better connected to France's sort of major transport networks as well than Lorient, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, tucked away on the coast. Um, So for them to have produced the likes of, you know, um, Matteo Genduzzi, Ilan Mellier, uh, Enzo Lefè, Mario Lemina, um, Jeremy Morel. Those are, I mean, I wouldn't say that all of them are household names, but there are certainly a few, a few in there who, even if you're just a novice of European football, you, you'll recognize them, uh, whether that's from watching French football or playing uh, football manager, FIFA, whatever it is. Um, some, some very um, well renowned names in there. Um, and in particular, actually, there was a there was a uh, I think it was Lorient's official account last weekend. Uh, they or, or maybe earlier this week, they tweeted out a, a picture of um, a, an old sort of uh, an old squad pick from I don't know, must have been like under thirteens, under fourteens at the time, uh, and it was Enzo Lefay and Ilan Melier were in the same team, mm. and uh, it was because Fay and uh, Melier were both selected in L'Equipe's uh, team of the week, which. You know, for for a club which isn't renowned for its youth production to have two players in that, I mean, La they, they drive a hard bargain a lot of the time. Mm. So for them to have been um, named in that was was obviously a reflection of you know just how well those two players, those two uh, alumnus are, are doing at the moment. Um, yeah. in, in terms of the um, in terms of the, the players that. That I mean, should we should we begin by talking about Enzo Lefey? Because he is, after yeah. all, he's still at Lorient and is very much like you are the jewel in the crown of the West of Scotland. Um, <laughs> he is the jewel in the crown of the, the the west coast of France.
1: Yeah, I think I think Enzo Lefey again. I mean, you'll know me Joe. I love a good case study, I love a good bit of narrative behind the player, and, and Enzo Lefey, I think it's it's well known, his sort of rather sombre origin story. I think Julian Ragon mentioned it on, on a podcast not too long ago, but Certainly before then, a few people were aware of it, and and since then, people they, they knew he was a good player. But I think when you, you you couple his abilities as a player with the adversity which he's had to overcome, you know, in his in his youth, I think that that almost makes you 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 root for the fair a little bit more. His father was, for those who haven't heard the story, uh, his father was a gangster who spent several years in prison, and then and then sadly took his own life last April. Um, and and I think. For Le Fay to overcome that, it makes makes his rise all the more remarkable. But obviously, we're here to talk about Le Fay the player, more than just Lefay, the the person. And I, I think there is something really, really quite unique about his style of play. I mean, I've seen people recently comparing to Marco Verratti and Enzo Fernandez to an extent as well. But what I think, what I think, I really enjoy about watching Le Fay is you, you can tell that that he feels proud to represent Lyon. He's obviously local boys come through, as you were mentioning, Joe, the Youth Academy. And he's. it's not been a very rapid rise to this player that he is. I think for a while there was a feeling that maybe he wasn't quite good enough to make it in the, in the sense that he wasn't strong enough, rather that he was maybe too lightweight, um, which, which I know is quite a flippant observation to make. But but he did get the impression that he was really going to struggle to make his mark on games. But I think what we've seen this season is, under Lebris, who Who I think, from his time with the youth academy and then the reserves at Lyon has has grown to really trust youth and and he's grown to really place a lot of faith in the family face still, what twenty two and you do get the impression that he is still quite raw, but when you look at his underlying numbers actually joe they 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 speak for themselves, he's one um only seven players of one more tackles across Europe's top five leagues. Van Luffey, he's in the 99th percentile for ball recoveries compared to his positional peers across the top five leagues in Europe. sits so ninth across Europe's top five leagues for shot creating actions too. So you know, in terms of defensively, he's he's able to put something into the team, but also going forward, he can create chances. 98th percentile for dribbles completed and 97th percentile for key passes so his his underlying numbers are really quite encouraging and I think what we've seen this season is that he has stepped up he's listened to what people were saying he has answered not so much maybe the critics but just you know he's answered a few doubts that people were perhaps raising about his play and his ability to step up to the next level so to speak and I think what we're seeing now is this willingness to take on more responsibility which LeBlanc is is all too happy to afford to him I think he's got a real mix of um, I think top Ben's talk, the excellent top Bin's talk account said that he possesses a great mix of tenacity and finesse. You know, he does the hard work out of possession, but moves the ball really well when he is operating in that sort of deeper lying role. He's got great awareness, sharp feet, and he's always looking for quick forward passes. So these you can say are all buzzwords, but they're all buzzwords which I think we can accurately and fairly attribute to the game. And as we were saying, you know, he's still only 22. He's represented France at the Olympics, even if that was a rather yeah depressing Olympics campaign. He was still right. there, he still was in the mix. And I think you know, France at the moment, with, with Pogba and Conte, etc., all moving on. I know you've got too many coming through, and and there are a few players there, but I think there is maybe more scope for him. If he can take his game, he's still got a few more levels to go, I think. But there is probably more scope for him to crowbar his way into the French national team midfield a few years from now uh, than there would have been, say, you know, going back four years when that midfield was set and didn't really look like there was any way in for, for anybody else. I think, yeah, he's he's in a good place. He's at a good team, and he's got a manager in, in Reggie lebre who's who's really going to place faith in him. And I think he would be well placed to stay at Lyon for at least another season, and yeah, and see see exactly where he can go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely as you say he's only 22 years old um he's he's played in excess of 120 games for the club already at that, at that young age it's the you know team that he spent 10 years in the youth academy at you know there's I mean there's not really a rush to to say that he has to move on he's he's a very unique player as you say you know those those percentiles speak for themselves I mean it just for me whenever I've watched laFy it's just how much he effects and contributes in every phase of, of the pitch. You know, he's, he's just such a tremendously active player. Um, you know, that pressing volume that you were mentioning, you know, he just, just never, never tires. Um, and I suppose that's easier when you're carrying a frame of five foot seven rather than six foot four. But it's, you know, he's still having to cover a lot of ground. And, you know, if if are achieve something massive this year, you know, which would be them com- uh, competing and, and qualifying for, for mm. European football... Um, let's let's make no mistake. You know the fact that an academy grad with with the club since the age of eight is effectively the side's heartbeat would be um would be a fantastic story, especially yeah. with all that that
1: personal tragedy of of his as well that he's had to contend with. Um, yeah, I was just going to say as well, Joe. I mean, I think Lorient have offered plenty of. Backpage headlines this season and, and again we had that there's one which we'll maybe discuss later but there was one in the most recent match day away at Angers Le Fay scores you know an 88th minute winner and it's it's not just a tap-in I mean the tap-ins count as well and they're still just every bit as passionate but the finish is the technique in the 88th minute when your team has been on a sort of dry run of sorts to then score that winner I think speaks volumes of yeah his, his developing Maturity has developed in personality and, yeah, it's increasing importance in that Loyon team, Joe.
0: Absolutely. And, and talking of, of increasing importance, um, you know, you, you look at some of the other young players in there and, and even younger than Lafayette, somebody born in 2002, Dango Uttara, Um mm. He's sort of a, uh, a, I mean, his story as well, signed from Majestic FC in, in Burkina Faso in Africa um, and throughout this season has been posting excellent expected goals and expected assist numbers. Mm. Um, you know, he's a player with, lots of shots, high-value attempts as well, which, which bears mentioning. Um, and as a result, has, has been doing very well, you know, getting... I think he's into double figures for, for goals and assists combined yeah. um, from, yeah. from, from that left side of the attack. Um, I'd have to double check that, but um, certainly. At I think the end yeah, of, I
1: think I think some some websites have him down as uh, five goals and four assists, and some websites have him down as five goals and five assists in the league. So it depends on depends, who you can yeah. From yeah,
0: <laughs> um, but you know, a lot of those, and I think the vast majority, if if I'm not wrong, were you know had been scored or had been created by uh, prior to the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. so again, the the opening third of the season, and it's you know not a bad not a bad run for coming into. Uh, the one of the Europe's top five leagues from from a club in Burkina Faso, and especially at you know twenty, 20 I think he must be twenty years old. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm twenty. You know, I mean, again, you, you with these types of players, you expect them to be a little bit raw. And yes, you know, I think having watched a little bit of him, um, you know, I think his passing does need work. He's not overly involved um, in in the in the sort of the build up phase of attacks, and and does tend to be a little bit sloppy sometimes, which means that again, similar to Lafay, but not in the terms of sloppiness similar to Le Fay, i think a, a, another season there would would certainly benefit him mm, um yeah. rather than moving on too quickly and maybe stagnating and stalling and not developing that 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 more polished side of his game but you know yeah. you can't you can't argue with this you know the the creative output you know he's always looking to play forward mm. um which is that combination of inherent self confidence but also having the ability to find those passes um yeah. you know as i say you know so raw so direct with the ball and without it um, he's just somebody who is very he's a very striking player because he, again he's he's not somebody who is who who's come through a, a a European academy. You know, he can you can tell that he's got that that um that street football swagger about him.
1: Yeah. I think Joe as well I saw can't remember where, but I saw somebody compare him with a sort of an even more raw version of Rafael, Leal, which I can I can kind of see that sort of willingness to just run at players and it's almost a a naivety a sort of a positive naivety a benign Mm. naivety whereby he's not been overcoached, so he's maybe not thinking oh maybe I should cut back here and and keep possession recycle possession he just wants to run at players and I think yeah that sometimes does translate into as you were saying Joe sloppiness but what it makes for is a really exciting player I mean really on on the whole I'm, I'm not as I was saying earlier, the most riveting team. They're an interesting team, but they're not the most riveting team to watch, I don't think. But Dongo Utara, yeah, I think he's the sort of player that, yeah, he does need to polish his game, but he's yeah, he's he's just a player who get him on the ball. You know, he'll get get the crowd off their feet. I think every team needs at least one of those players. I think L'Oreal are lucky to at have at least a couple of them anyway. And yeah, he's only he's only 20, and it's it's that kind of idea of to come from you know, Burkino Faso to come from 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 an academy, which which I'm sure is is uh, is well run, but to come into the top, you know, one of the top five leagues and do as as he has done and have such an impact in terms of goals and assists, I think yeah, you, you do have to, to take your hat off to him. And as you're saying, you know, he's, he's still only twenty. You've got plenty of time. I I think Lyon's a great club at which to develop. There's going to be probably more money coming into the club. You would imagine what with league going down to eighteen teams next season, the TV money will be kind of. Shared amongst the 18 teams rather than 20 teams, so straight away there's there's a sort of increase in money for the club. And I think, yeah, if if William can keep a hold of the FA can keep a hold of Utara and perhaps we're maybe going to speak about Terry Murphy as well. If they can keep a hold of that trio of players, then yeah, I, I think they're they're in a good place. I think they'll probably struggle to replicate what they've done in the first third of the season. And and certainly uh, we might touch on this later. The the sort of the numbers have dwindled in terms of wins and and points on the board recently and and the expected goals numbers even against onji when they did squeeze that when the expected goals for both teams were were quite alarming uh for loyon but i think players like dongo lutara uh, suggest that you know there's there's a plan in place at loyon there's a solid recruitment plan in place and yeah they they're heading in the right direction i just yeah, I hope that Utara doesn't see the bright lights of a move somewhere else where he's inevitably just going to end up on the bench and his, his career sort of peters out, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just been sort of having a scroll through TweetDeck there and, and seeing some stuff about David Datro Fofana um, going to to Chelsea. And, you know, that that does strike me as a as a move where it's maybe a mm. little bit, a, a big jump too soon. Don't get me wrong, he's probably one of the best players in Norway. And, I'm, and I realise I'm um, very I'm, I'm veering away of, uh, quite quite. Uh, ferociously <laughs> but um yeah it's it's one of those where i think again prioritize minutes prioritize a club which is going to give you the opportunity to develop and, and at the moment dango otara is is getting that you mentioned their terry moffy um and you know we're talking about background stories uh, when when we were discussing enzo la um and i mean moffy's is is incredible um you know he's he joined Buxwood football academy in hastings in the uk uh, at 17 coming straight over from nigeria Um, And then ended up in uh, Lithuania's top flight. Um, But because of visa issues, it meant no football there for the best part of a year after signing for, for FK Trakai, uh, who I believe have actually changed their name now. So um, that might be something I need to have a look up, but um, he did score a couple of goals there when he, when he eventually um, started being able to play. Uh, And then Kortrick in in Belgium picked him up Mm. um, before Lorient, after a short period in Belgium, Lorient, uh clearly had scouted him very well uh they pounced on him for uh, in the same year uh and, and spent 8 million euros um which was quite a, quite an an outlay for a club of Lorient's size and and you know financial standing um but you know since 2020 when he made that move he has been he has been a, a key key player for them um yeah. you know 14 goals in his first league campaign um 8 last season Um, And he's already scored. I think he's already surpassed that this season, uh, or at Mm. least he's matched it. Um, And he's just a very, very effective front man, a very, you know, a physical player, somebody who is at six foot two, you know, puts himself about as you'd expect and as you'd want as a a fan and as a manager. Mm. But he's a lot more hardworking than maybe he gets credit for. Um, And I've seen links to Southampton for him. Um, I think he could probably aim higher, than, than Southampton and now I know Southampton have done business in sort of the, the Breton region before with the likes of Roman Perrault and, and Ibrahima Diallo in recent seasons but mm. I think moffi can certainly I, you know this this being his third season in Ligue 1 I think he can aim higher than, than a club like Southampton um, yeah. because I mean his contract situation is, is a little bit precarious if you're looking at this from a Lorient perspective you know he i think he we're looking at sort of possibly the next big center forward coming out of of europe um and and playing for one of these 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 you know european level clubs
1: yeah i think with terry morphy joe i think he would really benefit from some top quality coaching and i'm saying that not as a slight on the coaches under whom he's worked so far he's worked with some good coaches and for what it's worth i think readily is, is one of the coaches that we should be keeping an eye on over the next maybe five to ten years certainly but I think if he could work under a coach at another level up again I think he would really benefit from that and why I say that is because when you look at his underlying numbers the, they, they do maybe betray a player who not that he's raw but a player who I mean his underlying numbers aren't the best Joe when we look at mm. them and, and even his his, expe- his expected goals are, are okay but they're, they're he's not he's yeah, over-performing this season yeah yeah, I think he's scored, what, 10 B goals from 6.5 expected goals. But when you look at his scout report on FB ref, it's inherently red, shall we say, Joe. Mm. So I think not that that in itself should should deter a club from, from investing in him because I think if you actually watch him, if you, know, if, if you just watch him play rather than looking or focusing too much on the underlying numbers, I know we need to afford some weight to them. But if you watch him play, you can see a player who's always going to put the effort in and who's always going to be a nuisance for defenders. So if you can add you know, more sort of technical aspects to his game Uh, and and if you can sort of lace a little bit more uh, by, by way of, yeah, sort of technical and tactical coaching through his game, I think you're then going to have a really good striker because even without all the sort of the underlying attributes that you'd maybe want you know, he's already scoring, what, like 10 goals in 16 league games this season. He's already causing defences so much trouble. I think if you can then coach him that little bit more, if you can fine-tune his game, if you can start to see his underlying numbers creep up, because that can all be worked on. Again, it's all dependent on team as well, you know. So I think with Terry Murphy, there's a player there who he's never going to be world-class, but he can definitely play at a really, really good level and score regular goals for a team. As long as he's coached properly, I think at Loyola you've got, what, like a 4-2-3-1 formation this season. It's been favoured by Rebouille. He works perfectly in that formation because, as you've seen, he is quite powerful. He is strong. He can occupy defences and allow the likes of Lefe and Dongo Utara to come in and sort of pick pockets of space out because the defence are so preoccupied with Moffey's movement, with his ability. Yeah, I think he's he's uh, he's an interesting forward. He's not like a lot of forwards these days who are maybe kind of coach to, to within an inch of their life, shall we say. But uh, he's he's definitely a player who's taken the scenic route to, to kind of the top level of European football, or certainly um, the kind of maybe level below the top level in European football. But he's he's playing well. And I think his importance to Lyon on the whole is underlined by the fact that if you were to look back at Lyon since Moffy arrived... When Lorion have had good spells, when they've been winning games, quite often they start the season well, that coincides with Morphy scoring goals. When Morphy then has a dry spell, when he has a barren spell, Lorion themselves struggle. And I know that that's maybe a simplistic observation to make. You know, if your striker's not scoring, of course you're going to struggle. But no, I think on the whole, it is a wider reflection. You know, when Moffitt plays well, the team plays well. And when Morphy struggles, the team struggles. And I think that, again, just speaks volumes of A, his importance to the team, and B, the extent to which he can occupy defences and facilitate and enable his teammates Joe he
0: he strikes me as as a a type of forward who it's difficult to replicate his impact even if he Mm. isn't scoring goals if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean
1: yeah yeah I think yeah I I can see as well why Southampton would maybe be interested in him um but again he's a sort of player the fact that he has struggled he has his he Periods during which he has struggled to score goals, and that's coincided with when the team on the whole has been underperforming. That's why I think maybe Southampton wouldn't necessarily be the best move for him right now. To be honest, I think he would be, you know, well advised to just stay put at the start de Moustoir, see out this excellent season with Lolion and then reassess his options in the summer. Because I think, you know, were he to turn down Southampton in January and where Lorion to go on and even if they don't qualify for Europe, if they can still finish the season strongly, if he can score a few more goals in big games um, against like, sort of Lyon, Marseille, PSG or whatever, then, then I think you'll have a lot more people interested in him in the summer and and he would probably be in a better place as well come then too. But it's interesting, I'm just going to digress slightly here, Joe, just when we, we speak about that sort of southern kind of coastal link with with Southampton there is of course, um, I don't know if it's happened yet but Bill Foley who of course has invested in Bournemouth fairly recently is also talking of investing in Royon, he's spoken about some sort of multi-club mm. setup, and, and he wants to to invest in Royon so yeah another uh, South Coast link there, not entirely related to to the links between Moffey and Southampton but still uh, yeah just a nice little bit of information for the listeners
0: I know, Absolutely, that's one that I'd forgotten about um, obviously I mean yeah, the, the, my opinion on Bournemouth becoming sort of a a parent club and having historic <laughs> French clubs like Lorient as feeder clubs, yeah. um, I think that's best to to remain off the record of what my opinion <laughs> is on that. But um, yeah, this the, the, there is the the potential for that as well, and the 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 financial dynamic that might create if, say, for example, mm. a wealthy, um, I don't know, I don't know what again, what else, what what might I call a wealthy individual like that um, uh, came and, and sort of maybe meddled with the fabric. Um, that might uh, what that might do. Um, <laughs> that might change things. But in terms of you know the the rest of the season, looking at Lorient's position at the moment, um, they are sixth in Ligue. 1, just to clarify, um, ahead of the likes of Lille, Lyon, uh, Nice, you know teams who you'd associate with being maybe in that top seven. Um, obviously, there is the the fact that that uh, Long are second in in the league and obviously having just beaten PSG. Was it three one the other night? Um, fantastic mm. result for them. Yeah. Um, you know that's that's a podcast for another day. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and try and uh, limit. Um, I'm not not gonna try and segue into uh, a
1: Lawn's podcast here as well. But I think you know, we know. could. I think we could maybe mention if if you allow me. Joe, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know th- there is th- there is a parallel of sorts to be drawn between Lawn's and Lyon. You, you you can see I'm I'm kind of pulling at straws here a little bit. But when we think about it, um Breu, of course, came in off the back of serving as the club's academy manager for a decade as well as coaching the reserves for seven years and this was his first sort of job in senior management first team senior management and there are similarities to be drawn there between what he is done and what Franck is did at Lons he of course was coaching the reserves before taking on the main role at the Stade Bolaire de la Rice. and then similarly as well Julian Stéphane who admittedly is struggling slightly with Strasbourg this season, may well not actually finish the season with them based on their current form. But again, Stéphane spent time at the Youth Academy and with the reserve, So there is a model there that you're seeing in France. I mean, anecdotally, it seems maybe to be happening more in League 1 than in any of the other top five leagues at the moment, that sort of path of, you know, Youth Academy, football, reserve, football, reserve, football, strategic management, and then into the first team. So you can draw a parallel of sorts between Reggie L'Eblis, uh and franck and And if... if we can emulate at Lyon what Aiz has done at Lens, then well I think uh, yeah that talk of Rebri is one of the most exciting younger managers to keep an eye on for the next five or ten years I think that talk will only intensify Joe
0: I mean there's some fantastic pronunciations there that you, you just had to rattle off in quick succession right?
1: <laughs> that was the only reason that was Brigitte the only Le
0: reason <laughs> yeah I tell you what yeah. you can tell you've uh, you can tell you've done your time in France Ali oh yeah um but you know, looking looking ahead to, to the rest of the season, you know, there's also been good minutes for for Theo Labrie, um, who mm. is Regis Labrie, the coach's his, his nephew, uh, and the likes of Julien Ponceau as well, the, mm-hmm. an attacking midfielder. Uh, Labrie, Le, the the younger, uh, is is more of a fullback. Um, and there's also Ibrie um, who mm. um, until I sort of had a look to to do my research for this podcast, I didn't realise had signed for Lorient. Um, mm. But he previously played for for Sarpsborg in in Norway, um, Mm -hmm. a big brute of a number nine, uh, Marley, and international, uh, and has really scored and and dominated wherever he's been. Hasn't really played an awful lot this season, a lot of his appearances off the bench um, and and dribs and drabs of minutes. But, um, you know, 300 minutes and he scored twice. It's not a bad return. Um, to, to say the least and mm. yeah I mean there's there are questions over the, the one-dimensional nature that he might be but he certainly fits the style and and you know in those moments when when Moffy might not be available and um, mm. there's a potential that that Kone can can come in and, and try and emulate to the best of his ability the effect that that Moffy has but I think just before we close out Ali what would your predictions be or what would your tips for for anyone who hasn't paid attention to on this season what would you Say to to them to to keep an eye on in the second half of the campaign.
1: Yeah, I think Joe, they are sort of in an alarmingly uh, difficult period right right now, on which I know mm. we've spoken about them as as having this great season, which they were up until kind of mid October. Uh, I think after Match Day Ten, they were they were sitting only a point behind PSG. Actually, kind of mid October, but but then they did go on that sort of spell where they lost uh, several games. They went six or seven games without a win and only kind of halted that quite dismal run with that late win against Angers and as I was saying the expected goals I think Roleon's expected goals were 0.6 to Angers 2.3 uh, which doesn't make for too encouraging reading so what I would say is I would caveat what we've said here by, by saying that yeah they've they've had a good season so far they've got some exciting prospects but I think the next month or so is going to be huge for them. I know they've got French Cup action coming up, but when they get back to league duties, I think we need to just keep an eye on how they're doing. I think next up, they've got Monaco at home, then Marseille away, then Hlynne at home, and then a resurgent stad Hans, away. So that's a really difficult four months. Glance themselves, another interesting case study. That's another podcast in itself, <laughs> Joe. Yeah. <laughs> the job that Will still is doing, that's like something out of yeah, football manager, uh, uh, yeah, legend, so to speak. But... Um, I think they've got a really difficult month coming up. They could, yeah, they could find themselves in in an even more difficult place, but I don't want to dampen spirits too much. I think they're a great team. As you were saying, in that pocket of France, there are so many historical clubs with great fan bases, with such passionate fan bases. Nantes, for example, one of the most underrated supports in, in Europe, if you ask me. I think they're interesting as a case study. They've got young players coming through. So for fans of the Scouted Football Podcast, if Royal and they're on the telly, give them a watch. I think Dongo Utara is probably the player who's going to make you jump off your sofa the most um, for a positive reason. Enzo Le great story. Really sombre backstory, but I think that makes the story all the more interesting. And then Terry Moffey, just quite an imitable style of Terran Uh I think there's there's a lot going for them. And then if Theo Le who you mentioned before can score more majestic late winners. He of course scored, if you remember it, Joe, but scored a late, late winner against Leo on match day nine, where he brought the ball down, skinned a few players and then scored, you know, 19 year old nephew of the coach. It's like something out of an Amazon all or nothing series. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think loyal enough provided a few moments, which would have satisfied the producers of an Amazon all or nothing series. And we're, we're not even half the way through the domestic campaign, Joe. So yeah, give them a watch. Don't expect too much. Don't, Probably expect them to qualify for Europe, but they're they're going to be there and they're going to keep producing those narratives for podcasters like like you and me to to keep talking about Joe
0: well they've they've certainly done enough to uh, to intrigue the producers of the scouted football podcast or sorry oh, yeah the, the producer singular um, <laughs> that, uh, that um, certainly is uh has, has piqued our interest but um Ali thank you very much for for joining me on the the first uh, episode of the scouted pod of the of the new year. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd echo everything that Ali has said there. Um, do keep an eye on, on Loryon. If you can't watch the games, then just keep an eye on them from afar. Um, and I'm sure that you'll be seeing the likes of Moffy Le and and Dango Utara. Uh, popping up on your on your feeds in um, in, in years to come but uh, yeah thank you for tuning in to the Scouted Football Podcast and uh, if you like what you heard from Ali and this is your first time listening to him on this podcast do check out the Road to Nowhere uh, European Football Podcast uh, for more Ali and, and some excellent excellent guests and, and co-hosts on there um, but yeah thank you for tuning in to the Scouted Football Podcast I've been Joe Donoghue, um, stay safe, take care and bye for now